0: First Corinthians thirteen, beginning at verse one. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully just as I also have been fully known. But now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Receive. So far in our study of 1 Corinthians 13, we have seen that indeed love is the greatest trait in the life of the Christian. It is greater than all of the spiritual gifts, greater than all the spiritual gifts combined, as important as those gifts are. In fact, through those gifts, Christ manifests himself in this world. He fills all in all through the gifts that he gives to men. But still, the dominating trait, the sole trait that is to be that Jesus expects to see in his people is that of love. It's possible, as we have seen in the Word of God here in First Corinthians 13, you could be one of the most renowned philanthropists the world has ever known, and yet not have love, it says. Scripture says that a person can sacrifice their bodies, their lives for the others, and not do it out of love. And what it will it accomplish? Nothing. And people do that sometimes out of a sense of duty, like soldiers. So it's possible to have self-sacrificing actions and not have love. Love is the greatest of all the things. And one way to know uh, what love is, is to know what love isn't. And we have seen, in several weeks past, we've seen that love is said to be patient with people primarily because that's what it's about. Last week we took a look at love is kind. It exemplifies the kindness of God. God is kind towards us, therefore we're to be kind. And today we're going to take a look at what love isn't, so that we learn what love is by its uh, opposite. Love is not jealous or envious. Basically, those two sir. Uh, Terms are the same, though they are distinguished, and though there are separate words in the New Testament for that, nonetheless, they are really tied together, and sometimes the word, uh, when you find jealousy, is translated envy in the Scriptures. Now, before I take a look at the sinful trait of jealousy, I anticipated, perhaps, your understanding of Scripture, and you say, I... I've read in the scriptures in several places, and there are quite a few places, where it says God is a jealous God. Now, preacher, how do you deal with that? If you tell us that love is not jealous, then why does the Bible say God is a jealous God? What do words mean? They mean what they mean in their context. And there are some contexts where it says God is jealous. And... We're going to see there are some contexts where we are told to be jealous. They're not as numerous as the negative counterpart. Nonetheless, for example, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Look at verses 8 and 9. Deuteronomy 5, verses 8 and 9, and it says, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and the fourth generations of those that hate me. There it is in a positive sense. God says, I'm a jealous God. Now, it's a very limited sense. What does it mean when God says, I'm a jealous God? It means he tolerates no rivals. He is the only God there is. And when there are others who pretend to be a God, then God is, takes personal offense to that and says, I'm a jealous God. You're not to worship any idols. I'm the only God there is. And therefore, I expect worship to me alone. Therefore, we see there is a holy jealousy that God himself has. It is the same word that's used in a negative sense there's Scripture. But again, words mean what they mean in their context. Now, there's another kind of of jealousy, and that is what we're going to see uh, in the New Testament. But first, let's get an idea. I think you're going to see that one of the words that is translated in the New Testament for jealousy is the Greek word zelao. Zelao. You see a lot of similarity with zelao and jealousy? Uh, there is a definite connection there. And some of the usages of this, if you were to pull out some lexicon, you would find this referred to in jealousy. First of all, one of the meanings is, and it's derived from studying its usage, it means to burn with zeal. That's an idea of of being jealous. Uh, To be heated over, to boil with envy, hatred, anger. Uh, In a good sense, it's used in the Scripture to be zealous in the pursuit of that which is good. It means to desire earnestly, to pursue something with great zeal. All the same word. Also, it means to exert oneself for something. Also, it's to be the uh, object of the zeal of others. To be zealously sought over. And it means to envy. These are all the uses of that word. Now, I said that not only God has a holy jealousy, but then there are instances where this same word is used with reference to uh, Christians. And, in fact, take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, 31, and you can read it. Depending on your translation, I have the New American Standard it says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. The word translated earnestly desire is the exact same word that's down here in verse 4, jealousy. Exact same word. The ideal of earnestly pursuing something. Now, as we study the, the positive and the negative, and primarily the negative aspect of this, you're going to understand how... It encompasses both aspects of of zealously pursuing something. Also, take a look at 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. The word there, desire earnestly, is our word that's translated zelao, jealousy over in verse 4. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 14.39. It says, Therefore, my brethren, uh, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. That word desire earnestly, that's our word. And then we see, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. Let's begin at verse 1. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, that that to Christ, I might present you as a pure virgin. Paul said with reference to the Corinthians, he said, I had a holy, godly jealousy for you that I betrothed you to Christ. When I preached the gospel to you and you believed, then I betrothed you to Christ. And then turn over finally to Galatians chapter 4. Look at verses 17 and 18. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner and not only when I am present with you. The word there, eagerly seek and seek in verse 17 is our word and then verse 18 which says they eagerly sought in a commendable manner. That's our word. So you see, words mean what they mean in their context. God has a holy jealousy. We are to Earnestly seek that which is godly. Earnestly seek the greater gifts. There is a right right for a husband and wife to be jealous with reference to their spouse. That they are to be faithful to one another. And anyone who uh, dares to approach and assault that, there is to be a godly jealousy that uh, protects the sanctity of marriage. So, the word has... A positive aspect in desiring something. But the key is this. What is the object that you are eagerly seeking after? Is it godly things or is it selfish things? And when it's used in a negative sense, like it's used there in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says, Love is not jealous. It's bringing out this negative aspect. So that the dominant use of the word zelao is in its negative sense of jealousy that is not godly. It is envy that is not godly. Now, one of the things we need to understand about this when it's used in a negative sense, it is one of the fruit. Of the flesh. Turn with me to Galatians 5, verse 20, and you'll see. Take a look at Galatians 5, verse 20. Here he's setting out the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the spirit. With reference to the deeds of the flesh in verse 20, it says idolatry, sorcery, imagery um, strife, Jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. There it is. There's our word, jealousy. So jealousy in a negative sense is part of the fruit of the flesh. It's part of the old man, that which is indicative of sinful humanity. And we're going to see, oh, it is very manifest in unbelievers, especially But it also raises its ugly head in Christians as well, as we're going to see. Turn with me to James chapter 4. Look at verse 2. Well, actually, let's begin at verse 1. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source, your pleasures, that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you might spend it on your pleasures. Now, the word in the New American Standard for envy envious there, it is our word that we're looking at. I think King James mentions jealousy there. Now, we're going to take a look at this passage later on in the message to, to see the effects of jealousy, what happens when jealousy is present. So, in our text in 1 Corinthians 3, or 4 that is, when it says that love is not jealous, it obviously means it is not envious, and it's closely tied. If you notice in our text, how closely it's tied with being a braggart and arrogance, because it says love is not jealous, and it does not brag, and it is not arrogant. As with many sins, there is a sort of a mixture, a combining of these sins. Sometimes it's hard, though you can distinguish one sin from the other. Sometimes there's a great overlap, and there's always an overlap with jealousy and pride, arrogance. It's at the heart of jealousy or envy. Now, as I said, it is part part of the fruit of the flesh. And it is natural, natural man for the unbeliever to be jealous, to be envious. But as it's more common in Christians than you might want to think. And we learn a lot about this terrible sin, and it is a terrible sin. We're going to see just how terrible it is today. But turn with me back to James, to James 3, and look at verses 14 through 16. And begin to see something about what jealousy and envy is like. James 3, beginning in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Now we get a glimpse of just how bad this sin of jealousy or envy is. And do you notice there that it's tied in with selfishness, ambition, selfish ambition? And it's not according to truth. And that wherever jealousy and selfish ambition exist, what's the effect, the result? Disorder. Every evil thing you can imagine, and we're going to see all the things that come as a result of this sin of jealousy. At the heart of this sinfulness, this trait of jealousy or envy, you could look at it this way jealousy. Slash envy. Because that's what it is. At the root of this. Is selfishness. Selfish ambition. That's at the root of it. That's why people are jealous. That's why they're envious. It's because of their selfishness. And their ambition. And so we see the root cause is self-centeredness. A jealous person is without doubt a self-centered individual. And it can be best said in this idiom that has been said, I deserve anything, I want it, because I am me. And since I want it, I deserve it. And therein lies jealousy sinful ambition. This jealousy, this envy is a deep corrupt sin. And here's what it does. It is a resentment of what others have. That's what it is. A jealous person is resentful that someone else has something they think they deserve. And there is with regard to jealousy, an internal part and an external part to this sin. Just like all sins, it begins in the heart, right? There's an attitude. And the normal course of events is this, for there to be jealousy in the heart, but then it will break out into external behavior. This is why jealousy is such a terrible sin. I mean... If it were to remain internal, it would be enough to condemn us, right? Any sin can condemn us. But the thing about it is, it doesn't remain within us. It almost always, according to the Scripture, invariably breaks out to all sorts of other evil things with reference to other people. It is jealousy or envy. It is terribly destructive. And when you see it, in unbelievers, it is devastating in them. And when you see it in Christians, it must be repented of diligently. Otherwise, it will do irreparable harm to the Christian if they allow it to fester. And so there is an interrelationship, as we're going to see, uh, in these In all the Ten Commandments, you know, as James says, if you break one, you break all of them. James 2.10 says this. But uh, the most conspicuous violation of the Ten Commandments that jealousy commits is, as you think, I'll let you think for a moment. What is the most conspicuous violation? Number ten. Thou shalt not covet. The jealous person, the envious person, is a covetous person. I see it. I want it. I deserve it. They don't deserve it. I'm more worthy than they are. I worked harder than they did in this. It should come to me, not them. Why not me? I'm as good as they are. I'm, in fact, I'm better than they are in some respects. That's all the thinking that goes on in the jealous person, the covetous of what others have, that they don't have. But then you see it doesn't just stop with covetousness. But jealousy, not only is the sin uh, in an inordinate desire for something. that's what it is, an inordinate desire for something, a selfish ambition. But then jealousy almost always breaks out in a violation of number nine. Thou shall not lie. You know, one of the uh, results of the, the jealous, envious person is that they become a gossip. They are backbiter. And you see it all the time. It leads to gossiping about others. And we're going to see in the scriptures, it's a violation of the sixth commandment, thou shall not murder. And we're going to see how jealousy frequently breaks out in outward behavior that not only leads to overt murder, but the murder of of a person in your mind, in your words about them. So you see how terrible this sin really is. How ungodly is it? Well, you know what? Where did it originate? It goes back to the Garden of Eden of all places. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And take a look at verses 3 through 6 of the account of the fall, of the temptation of Eve by the devil. It says, But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, Surely shall not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. And knowing good and evil, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from it and ate and she gave it to her husband with her and he ate. So what we, hear, we see here is God, <coughs> the devil, comes to the woman and says, Look, God doesn't want you to be like Him. But you can be like Him. You can be have the knowledge that God has, that for some reason He doesn't want you to have, and He's forbidden you to eat of this tree. But if you eat of this tree, then your eyes will be open, and you'll have wisdom like God has wisdom. You know, the strategy of the devil works pretty well, didn't it? it worked pretty well and therefore it wasn't the only thing that moved eve eve to take of the fruit but one of the things was the devil moved her to be jealous of god possessing something she did not have and by eating of the tree she could have what she before she could not have according to god so he sought to create a spirit of jealousy In Eve, and it worked. So this sin goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden is where it originates. You know, in this regard, jealousy is so internally destructive, but it is also outwardly destructive. Turn with me to Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 14, verse 30. Now, we're looking at the Old Testament counterpart to the New Testament word for jealousy. And this is one of them. A tranquil heart is life to the body, but passion is rottenness to the bones. If you have a New King James Version, it'll say jealousy is rottenness to the bones. This passion here, this envy. Now, see, I want you to notice the contrast here between a tranquil, calm heart, on one hand, and one who is filled with passion or envy. And what is the uh, result? The one who has a tranquil heart, there's life to the body. But the one who has envy, it says it's what? Rottenness to the bones. And brethren, that's what? Jealousy will do. That's what envy will do to you. It will destroy you. It will rot away inside of you. And it will destroy you if you don't deal with it. You know this jealousy, this rottenness in the bones. And we're going to see how in the New Testament this is exactly worked out, for example, with the Pharisees and the scribes that Jesus had to deal with. And we're going, later on, we're going to take a look at a passage where, you know what one of the major problems with the Pharisees and the scribes uh, was? They were envious of Jesus. They were jealous of Jesus, the scripture says. And so when Jesus said to them in Matthew 23, he says to them, and it was fitting for them, once you understand about the Pharisees and the scribes. This is exactly fitting to what Jesus said. He said, you are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but inside you have the stench of rotting flesh. And one of the notorious sins of the Pharisees we're going to see is their jealousy of Jesus. And it led them to kill him, we're going to see. You see how wicked this sin really is, and that when it arises in the life of a Christian, though we're not in bondage to this sin, it's such a terrible thing that must be uh, rooted out. And we got to exercise great diligence to root it out. And when you see it in your life, you need to beg God to get rid of it. Because if you don't, it will have traumatic consequences in your spiritual life and your relationship to other people. It will eat away at you like you can't imagine. If you don't deal with it.
1: I mentioned earlier
0: that jealousy begins in the heart and then moves to the outward behavior. Look over at Proverbs 27, verse 4. Wrath is fierce and anger is a flood. But who can stand before jealousy? Wow. When jealousy gets going, who can stand before it? Uh, Once it gets going and once it rears its ugly head, then the consequences are devastating in relationship to other people. And so here's the terrible cycle or the sequence of jealousy. It starts in the heart, jealousy and envy in the heart. And then it leads to self-pity. Because when you're jealous, you can't have something that you want. And when things don't work out that you get it, you have a pity party over it. So it leads to self-pity. And then this self-pity leads to anger. And then this anger leads to bitterness. And then it leads to depression and to outward strife. You know, the Scripture said, with reference to Esau, the one the Bible says, the one whom God hated. You know the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau was going to receive the blessing, but Jacob deceived him. All right? And what did that create in Esau? Well, Hebrews 12 says it created a root of bitterness in Esau. To the point, he said, I'm going to kill my brother. I will kill Jacob. And Jacob had to flee for his life because of the anger and the jealousy that was in it. And it says in the Scriptures that he sought the blessing from his father, but it says he'd already given it. And so he was deceived with this anger, with this uh, idea that it could have been mine, it should have been mine. My brother took it from me, and I will get him as a result of it. Why did Cain kill his brother Abel? Well, turn with me to Genesis 4. Look at Genesis 4 and begin at verse 4 through verse 7. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of the flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Why did Cain kill his brother Abel? He was jealous of the fact that God accepted Abel's offering and not his. Why not mine, God? There was something about his heart. There are several reasons why God didn't accept it. But it, it, it belonged. You should accept it, God. Why don't you accept my offering? But the fact that God didn't accept his offering and accepted Abel's, it says his anger burned against his brother. And so what did he do? He killed his brother. Physically killed him. That's what will happen to you when you move with jealousy or envy. What did God tell Cain? You better master it. You better master it or it will destroy you. Now, let's take a look at some other Old Testament examples of jealousy. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 30. We've actually looked at this passage before. Rachel and Leah, the wives of Jacob. Verse 1, Genesis 30. Now, when Rachel saw that she, meaning with reference to her sister Leah, bore Jacob, or that when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she became jealous of her sister. And she said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And then in verse 14, if you remember, it says, Now in the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went out, meaning one of the sons of Leah, Found mandrakes in the field and then brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of those of your son's mandrakes. And what were the mandrakes? The mandrakes were these lagoons or legumes, that were believed to possess fertility powers. Now remember, Rachel is not able to have children. She wants to have children. So much so, she begins to complain against her husband. We'll deal with that more later. But but Jacob says, am I God that I've closed your womb and given you fruit? Am I God? And then she desired the mandrake so much because she believed that somehow it possessed some magical, that's what they believed, some kind of means that would enable her to, to bear children. And you, we, we looked at this whole interchange between Leah and Rachel was just one massive jealousy on both parts. On Rachel's part and Leah's part. They were jealous of each other. Part of the scenes of polygamy. If it hadn't been for polygamy in that, that would have never arisen. But it did. But they were jealous of each other. And it was this ungodly competition between the two, who can have the most children. And then it will lead, in the end, in the end it will lead, when Jacob is leaving his father-in-law, going to Canaan, what does Rachel do? She steals her father's household idols. And we talked about what these household idols were. They were these little small figurines Probably a veil that was believed to possess fertility powers. Again, remember, Rachel has this obsession. I've got to have children lest I die. So when she's leaving, she's going to cover herself. I'll take some of these idols with me. So she takes them. Of course, father-in-law gets upset, tries to hunt down Jacob. Where are my idols? He doesn't know anything about this. And he will go uncovered. And she will hide them and she'll take that into the promised land. And she's not the sole source of bringing these idol worship into into Canaan. I mean, Solomon did as much as anybody, but she brought it in. Because of what? She's jealous of her sister. She wants to have children lest I die. Where else did it show up? Turn to Genesis 37. Look at verses 5 through 11. Then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Please listen to this dream which I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brothers said to him, Are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he has still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I have still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. And he related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. It just just consumed his brothers. Now, after all, it is little brother. And little brother has the dream that we are going to bow down to little brother. Really? you going to reign over us, little brother? We're not going to have any part of it. And where did their jealousy lead them? They hated him. They hated him in their heart. And what did they do? They sold him. Well, first they were going to kill him. And one of the brothers decided, no, let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. And be done with him. And that's exactly what they did. What was the cause of it? Jealousy—that's what it was—and it led, it led them to sell their brother to slavery. After all, they did bow down to their little brother, didn't they? When he arose to great power in Egypt, they did do exactly. And you remember, notice it—it it says that Jacob pondered these things. He first rebuked his son. But he thought about this. Could it be true, possibly? And sure enough, everybody will bow down to Joseph. But it created jealousy within them. Now, to show you how this jealousy also breaks out into evil, I mentioned to you the Pharisees and scribes earlier. Turn with me to Matthew 27. Look at verse 18. Matthew 27, verse 18. Now, Jesus is before Pontius Pilate. And here it is, verse 18. Now, this is what Pilate understood. For he knew that because of envy, they had delivered him up. Remember, the the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin was jealous of, of what Jesus was accomplishing. Because Jesus was drawing all these massive crowds. All of a sudden the people were gathering to Jesus. Well, the Pharisees were the teachers of the law. They're the ones that were seen, loved to be seen on the street corners, praying before the people. They had their long robes. Uh, they're pious looking and that. They were jealous of Jesus to the point we're going to kill him. And they delivered them up to Pontius Pilate. That's where it gets you. Overt murder. And that's why Jesus, now you see why Jesus says, you are whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but inwardly you are seething with anger. You're seething with envy and jealousy concerning me. Turn with me. Now, not only were the Pharisees and scribes uh, envious toward Jesus. We're going to see they're envious towards the apostles. Turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Look at verses 17 and 18. But the high priest rose up. Now, let me back up. I didn't read these verses. What happens there is that Peter will be used of God to heal people, to get rid of demonic spirits. And there are all these people, uh, it says they were bringing people who were sick and afflicted, unclean spirits, all who were all that were being brought here. he was healing them. Well, what did that do to the, the religious leaders of the day? It says, but the high priest rose up, verse 17, along with his associates, that is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in public jail. Why did they put them in jail? They were jealous of them. That's why. It says it. He was drawing all the crowds. They were following Peter, not them. So they hated him. And they said, we'll deal with him. We'll arrest him. We'll put him in jail. And that's what they did. Turn with me to Acts 17. Look at verses 1 through 6. Paul's at Thessalonica. Now, when they had traveled through Amphibolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying that Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were... Persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. Stop right there. All these people were beginning to be converted to Christ. Prominent women, God, a great multitude of God-fearing Greeks were converted. Some of the Jews were converted. But then it says, but the Jews becoming what? Jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and set the city in an uproar. And coming upon the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have upset the world have come here also. What motivated these Jews to go after the Christians was their jealousy. That people were being converted out of Judaism to Christianity, and they hated them for it. And then they brought them to the civil authorities and trumped up this thing, says, "Well, they're preaching another King Jesus. Well, they are preaching another King Jesus." But any excuse, any excuse. Do you see how the Scripture says that jealousy is rottenness to the bones? How it says it will break out into strife. The quarrels. Turn to Acts 13. Look at verse 44 and 45. Paul is before the Gentiles. It says, In the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and began to blaspheme. Here it is, jealousy, 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 envy, envy. They have the crowds. They are getting to all the people, not us. See, it just doesn't remain within. It breaks out into outward animosity towards people in one shape or form. So I trust that you're catching the drift of all of this about jealousy, envy. It has to do with selfish ambition. What others have, you crave. You can't have it, so you're filled with jealousy and envy. And you turn against those who have it. Now, I bet all of us, and I'm including all of us, have been jealous at some time as Christians. You know, the psalmist was... Psalmist says he was jealous. He was envious. What was he envious about? Prosperity of the wicked? Turn with me to Psalm 73. Take a look at verses um, 1 through 4. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps. Had almost slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Then look at verses eleven through fourteen, same chapter seventy-three. And they say, How does God know, and is their knowledge with the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, and always at ease, they have increased in wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. He was jealous, envious of the, the prosperity of the wicked. I'm a righteous man. I'm seeking to they live a holy life. And what do I get? Pain and suffering. What do they get? Prosperity. It always goes right. Now, it doesn't always go right. He's mistaken there, but he thinks that at least at the start. You ever been jealous of unbelievers? Why do they have the good job and not me? Why are they prospering and not me? Why why do they seem to uh, go out and buy the latest model car that they want and I can not hardly get my bills paid? Where did this lead the psalmist in this jealousy? Self-pity. He was having a pity party. He was fretting over the situation. Brooding over it. To the point, he says, I almost really slipped and fell. I'll hold off the solution for a little bit later on. We'll see how did he get himself out of that situation. Jealous mess that he found himself in. Well Where does this jealousy or envy crop up in the Christian life? Well, let's just go down the line, why don't we? <laughs> men, have you ever been jealous of the jobs that other men have? You ever been jealous of the fact some guys, you think you're as talented, they make more money than you do? You ever been jealous of someone like that? I've got more training than they do. I've got a college degree and they don't. Why do they get that? Why, why they get the promotion? My co-workers, I mean, they're not as talented or they, they don't seem to have the ability that I have. Why they get the promotion? As a result of this, what do you do? Begin to complain, don't you? I not want to complain. You go home and complain to your wife. Then you began to complain to the other guys at work. Did you know Joe? He got the promotion. I've been here longer than Joe. I got a college degree. Joe doesn't. I should have got this promotion. So, what, what, what does the person do? They begin to gossip behind Joe's back about the promotion he got. Instead of maybe being glad for Joe, they're upset. Well, that's jealousy, it's envy. That's all that is. Since we're talking about men for a moment, I'm not going to exempt preachers from this. First of all, one of the greatest sins in here had to do, did it not, with the religious leaders who were jealous of Jesus because he was getting all the attention? They were turning to him and not themselves. Well, let's assume you're not as bad as the Pharisees. Hope not. <laughs> Why is this man's ministry flourishing and not mine? He's not doing anything more than what I'm doing. Why is his church growing and my church not growing? They just can be jealous of the villages other. You know, he, he's a better speaker. People like to hear him more than they like to hear me. Or they, <clears throat> not, uh, he's popular and not, I'm not popular. See, it crops up everywhere with anybody. Everybody's subject to this envy, this jealousy. The sin of jealousy is hideous. Women, are you ever jealous of the houses that others have that you don't have? Well, I don't... I wish... I mean, my house, I don't have the room that the other people, the other... Christian women, they have a bigger house. They don't have to fit everything into this house like I have to fit into the house. They have a nice yard for their children to play in. My children, they have to watch them run out in the street and get run over. And so they're jealous of what others have that they don't have. And so, sometimes you take it out on your husband's. Remember, Rachel took it out on Jacob, didn't she? Jealous about her sister. And she goes and says, give me children or I'll die. And it's not like, have I ceased to be a husband to you? Am I God? Am I God that gives the fruit of the womb? I can't do this. It says that Jacob burned with anger towards Rachel for insinuating that he could do this, that he can't. do. Only God can do this. But she complained to her husband. About what you didn't have. And then children. You ever been jealous of your brother or your sister? Wow. Boy, I touched on one here, I think, because in in most families, what family, (laughs) I don't know hardly any family that hasn't been exempt from jealousy among siblings. I mean, it, it goes down the line. He got more ice cream than me. He got more ice cream with me. Why did she get to take the car and not me and go to that party? You didn't even let me take the car. So it's jealousy. Envy of what the other one had, the other one doesn't get. You see... We fight, and it's the source of little children. You really see little children. The little child, they see the toy the devil one has and grabs it. No, that's mine. That's my toy. They're going to share it. Or they see it, and they, they like it because it's better than their toy. And they go out, and they want it, and they take What do they do? They'll take it from them. And so next thing you know, you get the children, the little children fighting over the toy because one wants what the other one has or they don't have. You know, as a nine year old boy, I was jealous and I started a neighborhood war that went on for three years. In nineteen fifty nine, my parents moved into a newer house in Green Acres, Kingsport, Tennessee. And two houses down, a, a lawyer by the name of Wright, he had a daughter who was a year older than me, named Patsy Wright. See, I know all the names. And Patsy Wright had the coolest, the neatest treehouse you could ever imagine. I mean, it was a treehouse to behold. And she let all over, of her, course, her girlfriends up there, and she let some, some boys up there, too. But she didn't let John Oders get up there And she didn't let Michael Knowles get up there. Why can't we get up there and play in this neat treehouse? No, you can't get up here. So we just declared war on them. It started in the winter with this most humongous snow fight you can imagine. Went all through the summer. Went on for another couple years. I'm not kidding you. Went on for three years. And then in the summertime... The wars are still going, It was Michael Knowles and me against everybody else, all because of jealousy on my part, okay? All over this treehouse. Now I remember if you got caught out by alone, I remember one time the summer, eight of those girls found me alone, and they had broomsticks, <laughs> and they were chasing me. You know, at nine years old, girls can run just as fast as you can, and they can beat you up and they were chasing me around the block and I was running for dear life and I remember running by Michael Knowles' house twice yelling, come out come out Michael, I need help and i run around more, come out come out, and they were out chasing me my aunt was visiting, she got the biggest laugh that girls I mean, years later she says, John are girls still chasing you? Because I remember them about eight of them chasing you around the block one time this went on For three years. Well, it didn't stop there, my jealousy. I hate to admit it, how I started playing tennis. You know how I started playing tennis? My two older brothers, one of them seven years older and five years older. I was a little brother. And they started playing tennis and they let me play with them. And then one day... uh, they were going to play doubles. I said, well, I'll go. And that's my oldest brother said, no, no, you can't go. We don't need anybody. We're going to play by ourselves. So you're going to play by yourselves? Yeah, we're just going to play by ourselves. Just me and the brother Jim and our friend Don Ellison. Well, I wanted to see it. I rode my bicycle from Green Acres down to Cloud Park. That's about a five-mile trek. Now, I was 14 years old at the time. And when I got down to Cloud Park, guess what? They had gotten Don Ellison's little brother. Ooh, that did not stick well. I thought you were going to play by yourselves. And you got little Don Ellison's brother? I'm better than Don Ellison's little brother. I'm not that good, but I'm better than him. And you know what? It was jealousy that prompted me. I said, you know what? I will learn to play this game so that I will stop my older brother. And I did. And when I got to the point that I could stop him, there was no glory in it anymore. I did pursue it. But it all started. Someone asked me, where did you start playing tennis? I tell you, it was all jealousy. Or to get back at my brother. Because I was envious. I remember at 14, I rode home and I was crying in front of my mother. You don't believe what Mike did to me. You don't believe Thank God, Donald. Can you believe that? Jealousy. Envy. And he just, it just prompted me to, to have this desire. And God used, you know, God was gracious and how he'll use even your sins later on uh, and turn them around and get good out of it. You see, the thing about it here is there are so many ways in which we manifest this jealousy, this envy. You know, parents, we got to be careful about showing favoritism. Well, how often do we see siblings um, getting upset and jealous, of something the other have? And sometimes we give in. We have got to be careful. Well, I got to be sure. I got to do this to one, otherwise the other is going to get jealous. That's what it is. They're going to get jealous, so you cave into it, and then it just perpetuates this this envy in the family. Well, how do you get over it? How do you deal with jealousy then, envy as a Christian? Now, as a non-Christian, there's not any hope because you're in bondage to sin. And they'll seethe in bitterness and it'll destroy them. But as a Christian, what do you do? Well, let's put it this way. Turn with me to Psalm 37. Take a look at verses 1 through 8. This is masterful. How... The sin arises, and then how you deal with it. Do not fret because of evildoers. Are you a fretter of evildoers? Brooding over what they have to do? Be not envious toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. And he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. And there you have it. You see here, notice several things about verses 1 and 2. The sins of fretting, worrying, brooding over evildoers, envious of what they have. It says, don't do it. And it says, what is the answer? The answer is, first of all, you've got to realize, just like psalmist in Psalm 73, when it says that he almost came close to stumbling, it says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, I perceived therein. See, the reason not to be, and you ought not to be, envious of the wicked is, it's not going to go well for the wicked on Judgment Day. It's going to be a terrifying thing. Why should I be jealous of someone who's going to be destroyed in hell forever if they don't repent? And the psalmist realized it's not as good as it may seem. I shouldn't be envious of them. It really isn't that good for them. But then it says here, verse 3, the answer to envy is what? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord, and then it says, verse four and five: Delight yourself in the Lord. Now, the difference in delighting yourself in the Lord and this selfish ambition that wants something almost at all costs. Now, God, which we're going to see here, does, is he is he some mean ogre that doesn't want to give good things to his people? No. The Bible says that God, Jesus says, God wants to give good things to his children. He does. But the point here is sometimes we get it all out of focus. And when we want it, we take matters in our own hands, we begin to have a complaining spirit of what we don't have. When we should just step back and say, Let's trust in the Lord. And do what? In trusting in the Lord, what are you supposed to do? Wait. Patiently on the Lord. What do you mean? Wait patiently for Him. It says, pray about it. Don't fret of Him uh, that prospers. Commit your way to the Lord. It says, trust in Him, and what He will do it in His due time. He will do it and give you the good things. It may not be in the timetable you desire. But he hasn't forgotten. If you're seeking to live a holy life, if you have a a desire to serve Christ, some of these things, some of these things that you may have been envious about towards other people, like some of the things they have, is it better to have a bigger home? Yeah, sometimes, especially when you need it. Well, just trust the Lord. Wait on Him. Pray about it. You know, instead of getting upset, and having a pity party and getting depressed. Commit it to the Lord in prayer. Wait on Him. Instead of being envious. See, that's the answer to the envy. You wait on the Lord. You pray for that. For Him to provide it. And in His due time. If it's a genuine need, He'll, he'll open the way for you. You know, brother. <clears throat> You don't need to be jealous of anyone. Be calm. It's like the proverb says, the tranquil spirit has life. But the jealous spirit is rottenness to the bones. Be calm. Be tranquil. And how do you be calm? You wait on the Lord is what you do. You rest in Him. In time, He'll give it if it's a genuine need. And so what happens here is you wait for him and he'll give you the desires of your heart in due time. It says here, this patience that you and I are commanded to do, you know where it all goes back to? This biblical doctrine. What biblical doctrine do you think it is? God's sovereignty, right? That's what it boils down, isn't it? Why does some person have something you don't have or I don't have? It's God's providence. That's what it is. He's happened to bless them. He hasn't blessed you with it. But that's in His sovereign good pleasure. And we have to understand that God is in control. But you see, when we burn with jealousy and envy, we forget that. We forget that God is sovereign God. We, we, we forget it in the terms that we're not practicing what we ought to know. Most of us, if you grow up in a Presbyterian church, right, you've heard about the sovereignty of God. But it's one thing to know it intellectually. It's another thing to live it in the heart. Let me tell you. It's another thing to live it in the heart. And one of the great doctrines that every jealous, envious person needs to learn is to trust in the sovereignty of God. In his providence. And so. The way to conquer. This sinful. Jealous sin. This self-centeredness. This self-pity. This selfish ambition. That the Bible says. Leads to quarreling. And fighting. Is to trust. In the sovereign good hand of God. Who will. Give it to you. Just wait on the Lord. Be patient. And you know how you deal with it. As we conclude here, first thing you got to do is you got to acknowledge when you when you know. And let's face it. You know in your heart when you're jealous and you're envious. You really do. Maybe sometimes some others may have to point it out, but really, for a Christian. You know it when you're jealous or you're envious. And the first thing you gotta do is you gotta just confess the sins. Lord, I'm jealous. I'm envious. Forgive me. I haven't trusted in you, your providence. Forgive me. And then second, you know what you do then? You yeah, be thankful for what God has given you. The good things He's given to you. So you turn away from the pity party of what you don't have and say, you know what? It could be much worse. It really could be. There are a lot of people who are in a much more terrible situation than I am. And then for us Americans to be upset about material possessions, (laughs) come on. Seriously. We have it so good in America, it's mind-boggling. In 1990, when I was down in Nicaragua on missionary work, through interpreters, we talked with some locals. So what I asked them, I said, what do you think of America? Every single one of them independently said the promised land. That's how we see it. I didn't have, they told me what they thought of the promised land. I didn't have the heart to tell them. It's even more glorious than what you just thought. I just didn't have the heart to tell them. Yeah. There are those who have gone to Florida from Cuba, gone to grocery stores. You take, ladies, you take it for granted the grocery store. When I was in Nicaragua, there was no such thing as grocery stores. I had to get used to that. It was just a marketplace. No grocery stores. There are ladies that have gone, that have uh, immigrated to, to Florida, and one of them saw these grocery stores. She thought it was a put on. She thought it was a put on. Until she saw the grocery store almost every corner, and then she started crying. She couldn't believe the amount of food that was so available. If you've gone to England, which is part of not the third world country, I had to get used to it when I went there because this is how they live in England? Man, I've I've got it better. I talked to a guy at Wimbledon. I had to see Wimbledon, where the most famous tennis court in the world is. And I talked to the gates. I got into to chat with them. And uh, I said, you know, what do you do? is this what you do for a living? And he says, no, I have to work a second job. He says, my second job starts about 7 to midnight. And then they live in a um, in a. a two-bedroom apartment. You know how much a two-bedroom apartment costs in outside London? About $2,500 a month. I told them that I was paying about 1200 for a four-bedroom house in Texas. They go, we're going to Texas. <laughs> they just can't. They can't. We, we have it so good. We really do. And so instead of getting to have a pity party, over what you don't have and envious of what others have that you don't. Be thankful that you live in America. Be thankful for what you do have. Third, what do you do if you find jealousy? Do good to someone. Now, there are some biblical counselors when they deal with people that have envy and jealousy. You know what they have them do first? They have them pray for the person that they're jealous towards. That will do wonders, to pray for them. To pray for the person that you're jealous towards. It's hard to be uh, hating a person and envious of the person that's you're praying for. It. it really is. You know what the Bible says in Romans 12.15? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If someone gets a great blessing... And you may be going through a hard time. Do you really rejoice with their blessing? Man, I've got this raise you and believe. I am happy for you. Genuinely happy for them. Now, you may be just getting by, but can you rejoice with those who have been blessed? You see, when you rejoice with those who rejoice, soon the depression leaves you. The pity party ends. And fourth, <clears throat> you do good towards them. Let me close with uh, turn to Romans fifteen verse two. Romans fifteen two. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. You know, it's, you. You really can't do that if you're envious towards him and jealous. So you ask God to forgive you. Be thankful for what you have. Pray for the person that's jealous for us. Go go do good to your neighbor. And soon you'll find, like the psalmist, the envy is left. It is gone. Praise the Lord. Let us pray.